Our scripture reading is Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, it's easy to have a good attitude and pursue your dreams as long as everything is going your way. That doesn't take a lot of faith, doesn't take a lot of perseverance. But what about the difficult times when a relationship does not work out or you get a bad medical report or a friend does you wrong? It's easy to lose your passion when you're hurting. And that's what I want to talk about for a few moments tonight. Many people right now are sitting on the sidelines of life because they're injured either psychologically or spiritually or perhaps both. They're nursing their wounds. They are not progressing spiritually. They're not moving forward in their Christian walk because of what they've been through. They are, in a spiritual sense, on the DL, on the disabled list, and they're no longer in active duty. They've thrown a pity party, and they are the only ones who've received an invitation. Now, you may have a right to feel sorry for yourself tonight, but I am the one who is here to break the news to you that you do not have the right to do that. God has promised you beauty for those ashes. He said that he would pay you back double for your wrongs, but only if you're willing to do your part. If you see the beauty, you're to receive double. The first thing that you have to do is to shake off the self-pity. We have to make sure that we're no longer throwing ourselves that pity party we mentioned a moment ago. We need to shake off the discouragement, and we need to get back into the game. We all have wounds of one kind or another. It has been my observation and experience in the kingdom of Christ that you can talk to anybody who sits in anywhere on any pew, and you'll find some kind of battle going on. There's some kind of hurt that's being experienced by every person in the congregation. They may be of a different sort. But they are there nonetheless. We're all fighting a battle as long as we live on this planet. But you can't let a loss or even a health issue or even a divorce be your excuse for sitting on the sidelines. You see, sometimes in life you just have to learn to play in pain. You know, one of the valuable lessons that I learned in playing high school football is that there's a difference in hurting and actually being injured. And I had the coach to explain that to me face to face a couple of times. But that thought struck me as, as I was watching a football game last fall in which one of the best players on one of the teams was severely injured. He had a broken hand and some bruised ribs and was a big offensive lineman. He was really, really important to the outcome of the game, and he was excited to play. But the trainers and the team doctor had tried to encourage him to sit out that game, but he wasn't about to miss the game. He had a big cast on his arm. He was wearing a special vest to protect his ribs. In fact, he was so bandaged up that he looked more like a mummy than a football player. And a reporter asked him how he felt, and his reply was, well, it's a little painful, but I'd rather be in the game playing in pain than to be sitting on the sidelines watching. I think that's a wonderful spirit, and it indicates someone who is committed to achieving their goals. I'm suggesting tonight that we need to be spiritually all that we can be. And with that comes a resolution and a commitment in our hearts that must carry us through and that will keep us off the sidelines and in the game. When Ed and I were talking on the phone just uh, not long ago about the reality of the fact that this is our reception for our seniors night, 
The first thing that occurred to me was we just did that last month. It seems like the years are rolling by so quickly. The second thing was he asked me if I would consider preaching on something that would be relevant to our graduating seniors. And I was just, I'll be honest with you, and I would never tell Ed this, but, but I, at, at the moment I was a, a little chagrined because I thought here is a lesson that I'd already planned for tonight that I've been trying to present for the last month and a half. Somehow it just never gets done. There's something that will displace it. And so I was a little bit disappointed. But then I got to thinking, what better lesson could our seniors hear than the fact that whenever you're hurting, you need to stay in the game, that you need to persevere, that you need to, in the words of Paul in our text, never grow weary in well-doing. And I think that those of us, when we were younger, if we could hear that message and we could really assimilate that into our hearts and apply it in our lives, then maybe we could do more in the service to the Lord Jesus Christ. But guarantee you this, we would not wind up on the spiritual casualty list and we would make absolutely certain that our commitment would carry us through the rest of our lives. I'm just saying tonight that if you're going to be all that God created you to be, you can't let an injury or a disappointment cause you to sit on the sidelines either. Let me make absolutely certain that I'm being understood tonight. I'm not suggesting if there's some health difficulty that you have or some disability that you have in your life that limits your activity, even if it's a matter of limiting your ability to come to church whenever you want to. I'm, I'm not addressing that. What we're going to be talking about tonight more is has to do more with our spiritual condition and having spiritual injuries and that sort of thing or even psychological injuries. But like that banged up lineman, we need to bandage what's hurting. We need to forgive the person who has done us wrong. We need to let go of what didn't work out and we need to get back into the game. I heard about an older, older lady who had not been able to come to church in a while, just the kind that I was describing a moment ago, but she's very faithful attends all the services when she's physically able to do so, despite her many infirmities and her advanced age. And the preacher saw her in the church lobby in passing one Sunday and said, I haven't seen you lately, and, and, and where have you been? And she said, well, I had to have emergency surgery, and I've been in the hospital for the last three months. And the preacher said, well, wow, it's really good to have you back, and how in the world are you doing? And he said that he would never forget her response as long as he lives. What she said was, I'm hurting, but I'm here. I think that says volumes, don't you? You see, that's the kind of people that God can ultimately reward and bless. We're talking about faithful people who are serious when they make their commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with everything that's in them. People who are determined to stay in the game as long as they possibly can. Limitations of the flesh will limit that in the course of time. But as long as I can, as far as I can, I'm going to serve the Lord and do it faithfully. People who get knocked down but don't stay down. Instead, they get back up again and again and again. You, you can't let the hurt. You can't let the pain. You can't let the bad streak cause you to be bitter or to lose your passion or to start blaming God, which is what happens so often with God's people. Like that lady from church, you need to stay in the game. So no matter what life deals your way, your attitude should be, I'm hurting, but I'm here. A friend did me wrong, but I'm still here. Business is slow, but I'm here. I didn't feel like coming, but I'm here. You need to make up your mind, and that's the only way that this will ever be achieved. Make up your mind that you're going to stay in the game. You can't just be faithful as long as you feel perfectly well. You can't determine to be faithful as long as everybody treats you just right. 
And as long as it's sunny but cool outside, as long as the conditions are right, you have to, like this sister with the already made up mind of I'm hurting, but I'm here. You see, anybody can sit on the sidelines. I think that's a part of why Paul wrote the text as he was encouraging those Galatians. And you may remember from your own study that the book of Galatians is written to those who had been pretty much overwhelmed by Judaizers, people who were saying, you need to be a good Christian to go to heaven, but before you can be a good Christian, you've got to be a, continue to be a good Jew first. And Paul was writing to dissuade the Galatian audience of that idea. And some were so bewildered and befuddled about what they ought to be doing with their lives that they were just giving up. And so Paul wrote what he wrote about you reap what you sow, verses 6 and 7 and 8. And then verse 9, I think, is the culmination of that thought when he says don't ever give up. Don't ever become so discouraged that you leave the battle, that you faint not. So anybody can sit on the sidelines. Anybody can give an excuse to be sour, to drop out, to give up on life. And I'm asking you tonight, I'm in fact issuing the challenge that you stay in the game, that you continue to walk the Christian walk, that you continue to live the Christian life. When you're hurting, when you're in pain, it's easy to become fixated on your hurt and on your disappointments. And all the bad breaks, and yes, it does seem like many times they come back to back to back. All that that will do is just brood and breed more discouragement and more self-pity and then eventually even depression. One way that you can do that, and you may have been thinking, I hope he sure tells us how to do that before, before the night is over, and so here we are. One way to do that, to make absolutely certain that we live up to our commitment to serve the Lord faithfully, And to make sure that we do not become discouraged and lose heart is to help someone else. Remember what he said in this same letter, chapter 6, this time verse 2, bear one another's burdens. In doing so, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. That, if it's not, should be on, on the banners on our walls because that is an essential part of living the Christian life. You see, the Bible tells us that one of the very best things that you can do when you're hurting And notice I said when you're hurting, not just when someone else is hurting, but when you're, even when you're hurting and you think I'm doing well just to be here, is to go out and help someone else who's hurting. Get your mind off your own problems and your own pain by actually helping someone who has a legitimate need. And when you help others in your time of need, you're sowing a seed that God can use to change your situation if it is in fact his will or at least long enough for you to be able to figure out that his grace is sufficient for you. And besides that, when something bad has happened to you, someone has hurt you, when you have experienced some real pain in your life, that experience and that hurt, and we've talked about this before, but I want to remind you, that experience and that hurt uniquely qualifies you to be able to minister to others who are going through that same experience or one like it, and who are experiencing and living in that particular brand of difficulty. You can't say to anyone else who has lost a husband or a wife, I empathize with you, unless you've lost a husband or a wife. You can't say to someone who's just received a cancer diagnosis, I know how you feel, unless you've sat in a doctor's office, you've heard that same medical report being read off of a clipboard in your presence. I read about a Christian woman who was severely injured in an automobile accident, and the physical scars that she received as a result of that accident were, were bad, but anyone would tell you who knew this woman that the emotional and the psychological scars of the trauma 
of that particular accident, what took place before, during, and then after the accident were just as bad as any of the physical injuries that she received. But she'll tell you to this day that the best advice, the greatest encouragement that she received from anyone during her days, weeks, and months of recovery came from an old gray-haired man down at church, a man for whom she had a great deal of respect and had kind of taken her under her wing, under his wing when she became a member of that congregation. And, and he told her this, Lisa, he said, if you'll just move forward with your life as best you can, don't push yourself in your recovery, but if you'll just move forward with your life, then God will take your scars and turn them into stars for his glory. And she kept that in her mind in those days that she continued to recovery and then got back on her feet. Isaiah put it this way, arise, one version reads, arise from the depression in which the circumstances have kept you, rise to a new life. And I know that there are God's people all around this world who needs to be hearing that message of hope and reassurance. Rise to a new life, but you don't understand how I've been hurt. You don't understand how the people have wounded me. I mean, they've chipped away at me till there's nothing left. You need to rise to a new life. You need to be rejuvenated by a new perspective in life, and you need to recommit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. We used to call it that, didn't we? When someone would come forward, respond to the gospel invitation, and yet they were already Christians, and we would oftentimes call it a recommitment. And oftentimes that's what they were doing. Sometimes they were just asking for the prayers of the church. But many times they would say, I've not been living the Christian life the way that I need to live it. I haven't been as committed as I need to, and so I'm going to recommit myself to living more faithfully for the Lord. And we all need to be doing that at least internally on a daily basis. Rise to a new life, Isaiah said. Notice if you want a new life, then there's something, Isaiah says, that you've got to do. It isn't just a matter of praying for it. It isn't just closing your eyes and wishing for it. You can't just sit back and continue to wallow in self-pity. You can't stay in perpetual mourning over all that you've lost. You can't wait until all the wounds heal and you now feel 100%. You've got to do as Lisa did, and you've got to arise from that discouragement. You've got to shake off what didn't work out, and you've got to stop writing your own obituary. You need to stop dwelling on who hurt you and how unfair it all was and rise to a new life. And you've got God's guarantee that this is so. That when God sees you in the game, pain and all, bandages and all, and when you show up to do your duty with the attitude, I'm hurting, but I'm here, when you show up with that attitude, and when you say, I'm hurting, but I know that God is still on his throne, I'm hurting, but I'm praying daily for God's guidance and for his help, then that's when the creator of the universe goes to work for you. That's when God will bless you in ways that you never dreamed of. I just know that so because I've read it in his word. The problem with a lot of us, and I know this is true because I've experienced this, but I've also talked to other Christians who have as well. So often when we are in times of difficulty, when we're really hurting the most, I mean when we are in a wagon, wagon rut in Death Valley, you know what I'm talking about. We are at our lowest spiritually and psychologically and emotionally. And we say, I need some help. The problem is we want God to do it all and to bless us in wonderful ways without us having to do anything. And that isn't the way it works. If you forget everything else we've talked about tonight, please hang on to the next few statements. We want, you may remember Joseph and how that about one-third of the book of Genesis is devoted to a biography of this faithful man, godly man, man of virtue. 
We want the blessings that Joseph had later in his life without the hurt and the sacrifice that Joseph experienced earlier in his life. We want the promotion without ever being hurt by an unfair and untrue accusation, as was Joseph. I guess what I'm saying is we want the happy ending without the jail time. And that isn't the way it works. Listen, you may be going through a rough patch right now in your life. You may be sitting on the sidelines because you've convinced yourself that you need some some me time to recover from your various injuries. And if that's the case, then God is saying arise and get back in the game. If a friend betrayed you, don't go through life afraid to make another friend because you don't want to be hurt again. No, you go out and you make some new friends. You see, the right people are in your future. I'm, I'm convinced that God will make sure that that's the case, but you've got to get off the bench and get back out in the game where the right people are. And if you've lost your job, you don't sit around complaining and belly aching. You go out, send your resumes out, and you find another job, knowing that when one door closes, if you will stay in faith and continue to live as God would have you to live, then God will always open another door. If you're facing a health issue or you're fighting a sickness, don't give up and start planning your own funeral. Do all that you can as long as you can. And when God sees you living that way, living in faith, and he sees you doing your part, he's promised that he will do his part. Now, he may not, watch this carefully, he may not restore your health. You remember how Paul prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh would be removed, and, and God said no each time. He may, not, he may not restore your health, but he'll give you new opportunities that will now match your physical limitations and maybe even some new relationships. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, he will certainly bless you with a new perspective. You'll be able to see things and how other people are hurting in a different way and in a better way. And you'll come to see that even though it's painful for the time, it is not the end of your life and your Christian experience. Even though it's unfair, it's not over. There is life after the sickness. There is life after the divorce. There is life after the bad break because a full life is still in front of you. I want to spend the last few minutes that we have in this study proving that biblically because otherwise it's just my word and that's not worth a whole lot without the authority of God's word behind it. Look at Job for a moment in the laboratory of life. The Bible says that Job experienced the very thing that we're talking about tonight. Can we all be in tacit agreement that Job had some hard breaks in life? I mean, imagine, every time I read that book, and no wonder it's a part of what has been called depression literature, I feel so badly for Job. And thinking about how awful it would be to lose your family and you lose your health and lose your farm and everything that you own and all of that in a 24-hour period. If you've read that book, then you, Joe Job, went through all kinds of tough times, and that's a vast understatement. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong for poor old Job. I know he had to be tempted to sit on the sidelines of life and to think within himself, if this is what serving God brings you, then why bother? Even his wife, you may remember, was advising him to just give up. It's never going to get any better. Why don't you just curse God and die? But in the midst of all that pain, Job said what we have already sung about tonight. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he was saying, in effect, I'm hurting, but I'm still in the game. I'm hurting, but I know that God is still on his throne. And I'm not going to displace or misplace my faith and reliance and hope in him. 
One year later, the Bible says, when Job had gone through that boot camp of difficulty, God not only brought him out of that difficulty, but he paid him back double for all that he had lost. You know how the Bible reads. I want us to focus on one observation that the Bible then gives about the life of Job at the very end of that book. The book ends with this observation. Listen carefully, church. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his grandchildren down to four generations, end quote. And you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like very much to summarize and eulogize the life of a faithful man. Please notice after the trouble, after the loss, after the sickness, after the business has failed and the bottom has fell out, that his life still was not over. He did not end on a sour, defeated note. He could have. Most of us probably would have if we had been in his shoes. He did not go to his grave with his song still in him. He went on to live a blessed life. That's why I read that last verse to you. He lived a happy 140 years. He enjoyed his grandchildren down to four generations. He accomplished his dreams. He fulfilled his spiritual destiny. And I'm telling you tonight that your life is not over just because you've had a setback. God has, watch this carefully, and after this for your life as well. When you go through tough times, you've traveled a lot of unpaved roads in your life, don't be surprised if the enemy whispers in your ear, you'll never be as happy as you used to be. And you'll never, you've seen your best days, and the setback is going to be the end of you, and you might as well go ahead and sing a couple of verses of happy trails to you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm begging you, let that lie go in one ear and out the other. God is saying to you right now what he said to Job in the long ago after the cancer, after the bad break, after the disappointment. There's still a full life waiting for you. You have not yet laughed your best laugh. You have not yet sung your best song, and you have not yet dreamed your best dream. And if you'll just stay in the game and not grow bitter, God will bring you out just as he brought out Job. Listen to God's word of the matter, this time from the New Testament side of things, Luke chapter 16, verses 28 and 30. And this is a powerful, powerful series of verses. And I want to make one observation about it after I read it. Then Peter said, as he's talking to the Lord, See, we have left all and followed you. Doesn't that sound like kind of an implied, we should have a badge or some kind of merit award for the way that we have sacrificed everything? And maybe that was the implication, maybe it wasn't. But Peter is pointing out to the Messiah, to the Lord, that I hope you remember that, how much we've sacrificed for you. And so then he, Jesus, said to them, that is to the disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom and of God. And here's the kicker, who shall not receive many times more in this present life and in the age to come eternal life. That's the sum and substance of it. I'll be honest with you. I've sat in a lot of Bible classes. I got a lot of Bible credits when I was in college. And if you were to ask me how does God do what he promised to do in the passage just read, I would have to say, I do not know. But I know he does. Because the Bible says so. God has given us promises. And he's never reneged on a promise yet. And he's not about to start. You see, the problem for most folks is that they don't stay in the game long enough for God to know where to send the blessings. Said another way, if you're longing and praying for a prodigal child to come home, 
You need to remember to stay on the front front porch so that you'll be there when they do come home, if they do. Don't go into the far country yourself. Don't concede the battle. Stay in the game. You see, when Jesus walked on this earth, the Bible says that he felt every pain, every emotion that we would ever feel. He knows personally what it's like to be lonely, to be betrayed, to go through a loss. He knows what it's like to be discouraged. So much so, the Bible says that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he sweated as if it were great drops of blood. Now, that is quite some emotional angst. I'm saying that he has been everywhere we are. <clears throat> read a bumper sticker one time that said, wherever you go, there you are. I have faith to know that wherever I go, he's already been there. He has stepped in every footstep, every footprint that I have ever placed on this earth. In fact, the scripture says that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Hebrews chapter 4.15, one translation says that he has been tempted or tried in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So you can rest assured of this. When you hurt, God feels the pain. When you cry, God can taste the salt. And that's because you are his most prized possession. You're his child. We kind of get defensive about our kids, don't we? And I think that's a natural instinct. I can still remember, I didn't plan on saying this, so this won't cost anything extra. I can still remember when a friend of ours said, we have a condo on Amelia Island Plantation, and you guys can use that anytime you want to. Just pay the cleanup fee, which was minimal, and, and we did that several summers in a row. And I can remember when, when Luke was about maybe four years old and he was down playing in the pool and he was at the bottom of the steps that you take into the pool and there was a bigger guy at the top of the steps and he said, move, buddy. And, moved, and Luke just looked at him in that inimitable way that Luke has and didn't move a step. And the guy says, you better move. And Luke still didn't move. And, and that bigger boy jumped on the handrail and slid down and knocked Luke into the pool. And, of course, he went under and came up blubbering and trying to get his breath. If I had a rifle, I would have shot that boy. <laughs> but I would have done it in a Christian way. <laughs> I, did, I did have to sit on myself to make sure that I did not act inappropriately at that moment. Now, those of you who know my family know that I don't have to look after Luke anymore. Luke looks after me, and that's because he's 6'5", about 280, but uh, a good bodyguard to have on hand. But I'm just saying, you're, you're God's child. He's looking out for you. He wants only what is best for you. And you cannot even begin to imagine how much he loves you and how desperately he wants to see you stay in the game. And never, ever give up. Heard about a guy who belonged to the Lord's Church in another city. When he came to church one Sunday morning, he was still wearing the little bracelet that they give to you in admission in the hospital. You know, the little identification bracelet. He was still wearing that plastic thing. And somebody asked him, are you feeling okay? Is everything okay? And he explained that he had had surgery that week. And I'm talking about major surgery. And he was supposed to stay in the hospital through the weekend to recover. But he said, Doc, I've got to get to church on Sunday. I'm the greeter this month. They're expecting me, and they need me. And the doctor said, no way, sir. I'm not even beginning to think about letting you leave this hospital. You're staying right here 
and you're recovering. And the man said, you don't understand. i got to be at church. I never miss a Sunday. And the doctor looked at him and said, tell me, are you a member of, and he named the church that the man happened to be a member of, and, and the brother said, yes, sir, I, I do. I'm a, I'm a part of that church. And, and, and the doctor said, well, you know, I've had a number of people who come through our halls, through our rooms, who are members of that church. And I'll tell you, they're, they're the most dedicated and faithful and the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you a three-hour pass this Sunday morning that will allow you to go to church and do your duty and tell those people, I'm hurting, but I'm here and to do what you need to do, and then I want you to get your bad self back in this bed and recover once that is over. And the man showed up at church, and he was hurting, but he was there. And he told the preacher before services, he said, Don, please don't go along with your sermon. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> There's a young lady in Scripture who went through a time of great pain because her husband had been killed in battle. Her name was Ruth. And in a single moment, her life was changed forever. Now get this, I, I can't empathize, obviously, as a man, with a woman, especially in that culture, who has lost her husband. Ruth could have easily given in to self-pity, discouragement, or a pity party feeling that life just was not fair, but Ruth stayed in the game. What she did was, she looked after her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was also a widow, had also lost her son, who of course happened to be the husband of Ruth. And Naomi said, Ruth... You're a young woman. I'm an old lady. You've got your full life in front of you. Don't worry about me. You go off and do your own thing. That's not King James, but, but that's the essence of it. And Ruth said, no, Mama, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to leave you by yourself, especially when you're hurting. I'm going, to, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to make your people my people, your God my God, and all the rest. And you know the, the beautiful wording of that prose. And she said, I'm, I'm going with you, and I'm going to take care of you. And that's exactly what she did. Now, I hope that we, we've understood the point tonight in relation to what we're talking about. That is, when Ruth was hurting, had lost her husband, even though she was in pain, she reached out to someone else that she also saw was hurting. The Bible tells us that month after month, Ruth just kept on taking care of Naomi and getting the food and serving her dinner and being her friend. One day, Ruth was out in the field gathering up wheat for the dinner that she was preparing. You may know that uh, bread does not come from Publix. It comes from a field somewhere in the form of wheat. And in those days, you had to grind the wheat and make the bread. But So there was a lot into making a dinner, and that's exactly what she had done. She was out in the field, and she was gathering some wheat. She met a man by the name of Boaz. And historical aside, a town in Alabama would later be named for this man. Okay, I may not have that exactly right, but there, but there was a man by the name of Boaz who was the owner of all those fields where she was gleaning the wheat, who was the richest man in his zip code. And they fell in love, they got married, and God blessed them with a baby boy. And they named that baby boy Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? David, of course, went on to become the great king of Israel. One of the mightiest men of God who ever lived. Think about that. Ruth could have easily sat on the sidelines because of the hurt that she experienced early on and have just absented herself from the mainstream of life, but she kept doing the right thing, and God had what a powerful after this for Ruth. After the loss, after the pain, God said to her, I'm going to give you a great-great-grandson who will change the world. 
And that is exactly what he did. You may be in pain today. Maybe you've suffered a loss. Maybe you've had some disappointment and you're still feeling the bitter pang of that right now in your heart. And my message to you is simply this. That is not the end of the story. God still has a plan for your life. Don't sit around nursing your wounds. Don't let bitterness and disappointment and discouragement set the tone for your life. Do exactly what Paul said in our text. Never give up. Never become discouraged. You will reap if you do not lose heart. God is saying to you right now, get up and wipe away the tears and get back in the game. Have the attitude of I'm hurting, but I'm here. I'm disappointed, but I've still got a smile. They may have done me wrong, but I'm still giving God the praise that he deserves. Because if you'll stay in the game, God will always have an after this for your life as well. After the loss, you'll meet the right person. After the layoff, you'll find the right job. After the sickness, you'll come out stronger if God's will is that that be so. After the disappointment, you can still live a blessed life just like Job and just like Ruth. But you've got to decide that you're going to live your life as a child of God or else there are no guarantees. And tonight, if you want to sign on to the Lord's army and become his child, then that's why we're singing this song of encouragement to encourage you to make this the time in your life. Maybe you've been thinking about it, praying about it, and studying about it. But make this the moment in your life that will change your eternal destiny by saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to turn my life over to his hands because I want an after this in my life as well. Allow his blood to cover your sins in the waters of baptism. Walk away from this place tonight as a brand new creature in Christ with your spiritual slate wiped clean and do it now. While we stand, while we sing.